Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Good evening. It's a wonderful joy again to have the chance to be here in Northern Ireland uh, during this weekend, or sorry, during this week uh, of our convention. Uh, especially counted a privilege to be able to share a little bit of what God is doing, uh, specifically in Asia, uh, as well as certainly in China in different meetings. And uh, it's also a wonderful opportunity to learn from other missionaries and other speakers of what God is doing uh, right across the world today. I don't know how many of you have enjoyed all the flags uh, that surround us here uh, I must confess that I do not, and I cannot name all of them. Uh, maybe that can be a contest uh, somewhere during the conference, that if somebody can name all of the flags, uh, uh, they can get a special prize, maybe a round-trip ticket to China uh, or, or something like that. Uh, but uh, I do pray that uh, as we gather each day, uh, that the Lord would broaden our perspective. Uh, he would take us... Yes, uh, from Northern Ireland, to see what he is doing around the world, so that we might be not only expanding our, our, our vision, but also expanding our passion for God's glory around the world. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn together with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. This evening I'd like to just share in the moments that follow uh, from this very familiar story that is given to us from the Apostle John. I will not take time to read the entire passage. Uh, Instead, I'd like to just read very quickly for us verse 4, which I'd like to then focus upon. But uh, perhaps just to give you the context, you remember actually that in the Gospel of John, John records for us, as many Bible commentaries uh, describe, he, describe he, he, he writes for us seven miracles, he records for us seven miracles that Jesus performed. Beginning in chapter 2, you remember where Jesus turned the water into wine. And then again in chapter 4, in chapter 5, twice over in chapter 6, in chapter 9 here. And then concluding in chapter 11, where you remember John tells us of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. At the end of the Gospel of John, John tells us that actually Jesus performed many other signs but that these are recorded that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that through believing you might have eternal life. In other words, they were signs with significance. They were miracles with a message. And the story that is before us this evening is the story of Jesus healing a man who was born blind. And I draw your attention just very quickly to the fourth verse of this story. You remember that Jesus walked together with his disciples and together they saw a man who was born blind. The disciples asked 
Jesus, this poignant question, Rabbi, who sinned that this man was born blind? Jesus goes on to say, neither did this man sin, nor did his parents sin, but rather that the work of God might be displayed in him. And then this is what we read in verse 4 of that chapter. We must do the works of him who has sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. We must do the works of him who has sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when we can no longer work. If you have the chance, I encourage you to go back and read through carefully the Gospel of John. For if you do so, and especially take note of this word work, you will know that it actually is a very significant word in the Gospel of John. If I'm not mistaken, in its verb form as well as in its noun form, this word work actually appears some 35 times in the Gospel of John. Perhaps very familiar and immediately what comes to mind is Jesus' words to his disciples there in the fourth chapter. You remember they had gone into the city to buy food and in that in-between time Jesus by the well there spoke to the Samaritan woman. The disciples brought food back, you recall, and Jesus responded to them by saying, I have food that you do not know. And my food is to accomplish the will of him who has sent me and to finish his work. The same word that appears there in chapter 4 is the word that is before us here in chapter 9 in verse 4. And then certainly our minds go to chapter 17 where you remember John records for us Jesus' high priestly prayer. And there we see Jesus turning his eyes heavenward and saying, Father, the work that you have entrusted to me, I have accomplished. And again, that word work appears some 35 times in the Gospel of John. But I'd like to just focus our attention on its appearance here and some of the implications as we think especially of missions, as we think of global missions, and if you would allow me also to interject, just as we think of what God is doing in China today. I want us to first of all notice Jesus' invitation to his disciples to partner together with him in the work. Jesus' invitation to his his disciples to partner together with him in the work. Notice what that first word in verse 4 says. Jesus does not say, I must do the work, although certainly he could have said that. But that is not what he said. But rather he invites his disciples to join together with him in the work that God had sent him. I deeply appreciate Peter's insights into the whole area of partnership. Could I just maybe uh, take it from a different angle, especially in its context here? Jesus' invitation to the disciples to work together with him, I think, first of all, we're reminded here that what Jesus is looking for are not people who talk about things, but rather people who do things. The disciples were interested in carrying on, you could call it a theological discussion, or you could call it a philosophical discussion. 
Why is there hardship in the world? Why is there suffering in the world? Why, why do people uh, born into this world have illnesses? It's a question that troubles many of us. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't really ever quite answer, at least not perhaps the way the disciples were hoping he would answer it. But it would seem to me what Jesus is challenging the disciples is not to talk about things, but rather to join him in doing things. And my friends, brothers and sisters, I believe that as we gather here these days, that will be actually the greatest challenge for us. For it is so easy for us, is it not, to talk about missions. Can I be honest with you? I'm often very fearful of coming to these kind of conferences. And my fear is that we will leave this place only talking about missions. And not doing missions. And so Jesus challenges us. Jesus challenges us to look at missions. But just very quickly, another slant to this partnership, and and I want to bring it within the context of the 21st century, and especially whether it's in the Chinese context or perhaps even in a wider global context. For as we look at missions, as we look at that partnership in missions, and in a sense Peter referred to it already for us this evening, we see that increasingly actually doors are being closed to what we would call traditional missions, traditional missionaries. Actually just in Asia alone, 80% of Asia's population lives where traditional missionaries cannot go. And yet if we were to closely examine those places, we would find that while traditional missionaries cannot go to those places, Christians can go to those places. And through their vocation, through their professions, they have an opportunity to make a profession of their faith. Could I share just a very simple illustration of how the Lord brought that so clearly to my mind? This was about nearly 20 years ago. Our family had just moved to Hong Kong, and I was invited or I was asked by uh, the group that I was working with to take a trip to the southwest part of China, to the province of Sichuan. I was given the task of going to a very interesting school in one of its major cities. It was actually a communist party school. It was a school set up to provide continuing education for medical professionals. You'll know that doctors and nurses and other medical practitioners have to every year take ongoing studies in order to maintain their licenses. And this school was devoted, actually, to provide that ongoing training for Chinese Communist Party members. I went with this objective to see if we can partner together with this school that we could mobilize nurses, doctors, as well as actually English teachers to go to this school and work in this school. I'll never forget that morning I stepped into the principal's office. I sat down. He was very, very cordial with me. And just as our conversation started, he he stopped me dead in my tracks. And he said, Mr. Taylor, I just want to ask you one question. Are all the teachers, are all the nurses, are all the doctors that you are going to send to my school, are they all 
Christians. You know, I thought that was the end of that discussion. For if you're familiar with uh, at least the Chinese Communist Party, Christianity has often been viewed as the tool of imperialistic governments. And that many missionaries, actually including my great-great-grandfather, have been called the running dogs or running lackeys of imperialism. I thought that was the end of this. But I had to answer him. And so I said to him, yes, every teacher, every medical practitioner that I bring to your school will be a Christian. I thought in my heart he would probably point to the door and say, there's the door, see your way out, I won't take you out. But my friends, I'll never forget that morning. He looked me dead in my eyes, and this is what he said to me. He said, good, I hope you only bring Christians to my school. Twenty years ago, and the Lord opened up my eyes to see the strategicness of Christian professional services. Let me quickly say that we are not discounting traditional missionaries, for there are still places around the world where traditional missionaries can still go and need to go. But yet as we look at the world today, increasingly we see that it will need to depend upon us mobilizing, us seeing our professions as a platform of making a profession of faith. And so we see Jesus' invitation to the disciples and his invitation to us. Not to talk about missions while talking is important. But after that talking to go do missions. And an inclusiveness realizing that the whole church has to be mobilized. And could I again just challenge each and every one of you in your own respective professions. How does God want to use that profession for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And it's not a question that only missionaries or those potentially going overseas has to ask. It's a question that each and every one of us has to ask in our respective professions, even here in Northern Ireland. How is God using your profession as a profession? Of your faith. And so Jesus begins by saying, We must do the work. Well, very quickly, obviously, the second word is also significant, it is not. We what? We must do the work. I think it was G. Campbell Morgan, that great 20th century Bible expositor expositor who actually preached 10 sermons through the gospel of John focusing upon what he called the divine imperatives of the gospel of John this word must actually appears 10 times in the gospel of John must 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 beginning in chapter 3 you remember where Jesus turned to Nicodemus and said you must be born again. He goes on to say that the Son of Man must be lifted up. In John chapter 4, we're told that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, you know that actually he didn't have to go through, strictly speaking. But he had to. Why? Because there was a woman who desperately needed to hear the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. My friends, there's a mustness about missions that needs to once again seize our hearts. Has already been highlighted during different sessions of our convention. I believe that we live in a time where that mustness is increasingly being challenged. We live in an age that has often been described as postmodern. And within that whole uh, that whole per- perspective, we see that absolute truth is something that is being called into question. And how that relates to mission is simply this. That it really doesn't make any difference between all religions are basically the same. Some 9,000 different religions actually in the world today. All of them are the same. It doesn't make any difference what you believe in. But I would submit to you, if that that is the case, Jesus is not the way, he is merely a way. And I believe that that was what led those missionaries, those early missionaries to China, as well as to other parts of the world, to go to places that had their own religions, but yet realizing that Jesus Christ was the only way, the only truth, and the only life. There's a necessity to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, just very quickly, and my time is short, I see not only an invitation for the disciples, for you and I to join, to see that necessity of this work, but also notice the urgency of this work as well. And Jesus paints for us several pictures here, does he not? He first paints a picture of night and day, that as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when we can no longer work. An urgency about the task. You'll allow me to indulge in some family reflection. Because I think if anyone was to ask me, what is the one thing that most impresses me about the life of my great-great-grandfather? It is simply this, his passion for lost souls. His passion for lost souls. In his day, there were some 300 million Chinese in China. Most of them living in the inland parts of China. Thus the China inland mission. In much of his writing, he often described the million a month Chinese who stepped into a Christless eternity. And it was that picture of stepping into that Christless eternity that so stirred his heart. If you were with us this afternoon in that tremendous play that was put on of the life of Hudson Taylor, the story is told, and it's a story that I've told in other occasions as well. It's probably one of the most pivotal things that happened in Hudson Taylor's life. He was preaching and, and a man came up to him. And asked him this simple question, how long has the gospel been in your country? This young man, Chinese man, went on to say that I have sought for truth. My father sought for truth. My grandfather sought for truth, but never found it. And after Hudson Taylor had revealed that this gospel of Jesus Christ had been in England for well over 
Several hundreds of years, this young Chinese man responded by saying, Why have you taken so long to come? Why have you taken so long to come? Well, today as we look at China, it is not just 300 million, but rather it is 1.3 billion Chinese. And while we thank God for the growth of the church in China, incidentally, just let me very quickly highlight what God has done in China since the coming of the gospel in 1807. Robert Morrison, one of the early London Missionary Society missionaries, was the first Protestant missionary to China. And since that time, all the way up to the 1940s, actually to 1949, Missional experts tell us that within China there was probably close to about a million Christians. And the missionaries had to leave. We refer to it as the reluctant exodus. And God's ways were far above our ways and his thoughts were far above our thoughts. Many experts said that that was the end of the church in China. That the missionaries had left. The agencies had left. The denominations had left. And I must confess to you that being a missionary, it is humble pie to see that actually, in a sense, God had to get the missionaries out of the way before he began to grow the church. Well, I should say to grow the church exponentially. Well, it wasn't just getting the missionaries out of the way. It was also growing the church not from persecution but through persecution. We don't know how many Christians there are in China today. That's probably the most asked question I'm ever asked. And with tongue in cheek, this is how I respond. That Jesus did not tell Peter to count the sheep, but rather he told Peter to feed the sheep. How is that? Getting out of a difficult question. (laughs) But experts tell us that probably in China today there are close to 80 if not 90 million Christians, one million. Today, some 50 years later, 80 million, 90 million Christians. Unprecedented from my understanding in church history. In probably just a few short years, China will have the largest Christian population. A staggering thing. To imagine, considering China is still an atheistic country. God is building his church, as we've already been reminded, several times today. But yet I want to quickly tell you that, yes, while there might be somewhere up to maybe even 100 million Christians in China, there are still 1.2 billion Chinese that need to hear the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. The urgency of the task. The urgency of the task. Well, time escapes me. For this work speaks of all, obviously, first of salvation. And all we would have to do is to go back into the Gospel of John, in fact, into the New Testament to realize that this man who was born blind 
yes, he was physically blind, but in this miracle, actually, Jesus is communicating something also of a spiritual blindness. And it's something that Paul, in fact, refers to, you remember, there in 2 Corinthians, where he says, the God of this world has blinded their eyes so that they cannot see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this miracle speaks of salvation. Secondly, this miracle speaks also of transformation. And I believe that that is just as critical as salvation is. And so often in the church today, and so often even on the mission field, we we seem to place uh, an emphasis on salvation. And yes, it needs to be emphasized, but we also need to realize that the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ can come into a person's life and should come into a person's life. And his life or her life needs and should be radically different. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not only salvation, it is also transformation. One of my favorite Southern Baptist preachers from the United States, Adrian Rogers, once said this, and I'll never forget. He said, if your religion does not change you, I suggest you change your religion. If your religion does not change you, I suggest you change your religion. Well, I would put before you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God that changes lives. And that is what we need to take. It is a work of salvation. It is a work of transformation. But then very quickly, lastly, and I want to close, it is also a work of proclamation. If your Bibles are still open, go back to verse 3 and notice what Jesus says. He responds to his disciples and tells them, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but rather that the work of God, and then notice that phrase, that the work of God might be manifested in his life. And I would submit to you that that is the ultimate goal of mission. The manifestation of the work of God in our lives. That people do not just hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they see the gospel of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, I would submit to you, that will be the convincing power. That will be the convincing power. I close with a personal illustration from my family. Hudson Taylor went to China in 1853, took 163 days to get to China. Incidentally, it takes us only about 12 hours. So I think these early missionaries would be quite envious of the day and age that you and I live in. And I think probably deep in their hearts, they would rebuke us and they would say to us, it's so easy to do mission in the 21st century. Why aren't you doing more of it? Well, anyway, he spent the next 50 years of his life in China, serving the Chinese mobilizing countless of people, including those from Northern Ireland, to go to China, to go to the inland parts of China. In 1905, frail in health, his heart's desire was to go and visit 
two provinces in China, the province of Henan and the province of Hunan, two central provinces of China. The reason why he wanted to go to those two provinces specifically was because those were the last provinces that opened their door to residential missionaries. They were the most antagonistic to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Hudson Taylor had a sense in his heart that the day he saw the gospel realized, the day that he saw the gospel being spread in the province of Henan and in the province of Hunan would be the day that his task on earth was done. His son took him to Henan. And it was on June 3rd, 1905, after visiting Henan, going down to Hunan. After spending a whole day not only listening to missionaries talk about what God was doing in Hunan, but also meeting Chinese brothers and sisters, telling Hudson Taylor about what God was doing in Hunan. In Hunan, sorry. About 8.30 that evening, the Lord took him. His body was shipped back to where his first wife Maria was buried, not far from Shanghai, in the city of Zhenjiang. Fast forward very quickly with me to 1980. Our family had a chance to go visit that city with one intent, and that was to find Hudson Taylor and Maria's tomb. To make a long story short, Amazingly, we were finally able, several years later, to find not only Hudson Taylor's tomb, not only Maria's, uh, sorry, not only Hudson Taylor's tombstone, not only Maria's tombstone, but also their tombs. And today, if you ever get a chance to go to China and you have several days free, include Zhenjiang on your itinerary. For there in that city today is a Hudson Taylor Memorial rests their bodies, stands their tombstones. And the prayer on our heart is simply this, that through their graves, China might be one for Christ. But I close simply with this. I'll never forget when we first located Hudson Taylor's tombstone. We gathered around it. It was actually housed in a museum or it was stored in a museum. They had no idea whose it belonged to until we showed them a picture and they said, oh, we have those stones in the museum. We gathered around that afternoon. A Chinese pastor that went with us began to pray. And very quickly he broke down, weeping, thanking God for the thousands of Western missionaries who brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to China. And after he had finished, my father prayed. It was a simple prayer. And it was this. Heavenly Father, may the same spirit that so moved Hudson Taylor fall upon us today. May the same spirit that so moved Hudson Taylor fall upon us. And that would be my prayer as our service draws to a close. At the same spirit that moved Hudson Taylor would fall. Yes, would fall doubly 
upon us today. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who has sent me, for night is coming when we can no longer work. Father, we thank you for this evening, and Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, for the many messages that we have heard, but even more so, the nudging of your spirit in our hearts. And Lord, as our service comes to a close, the prayer in our heart, Father, is that yes, not only the spirit that moved Hudson Taylor, but we think of the many, many that have gone forth from Northern Ireland. Those who have gone before us, trailblazers, Lord, let their witness not be in vain. Let their example not be in vain. But instead, Father, I pray that the spirit that so moved them would fall upon us today. And Lord, you would stir our hearts afresh for the lost, whether it is the lost afar or the lost near. And Lord, we wouldn't be just talkers of mission. But instead, Lord, we would be doers of mission. Continue, Father, in these days that follow to speak into our hearts and into our lives. And Lord, let us all, with that sense of submission, say to you, Father, let your will be done in our lives. Enable us to be obedient to your call and to your leading. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.